Welcome to the Pets Who Thrive podcast, where we cover all areas of natural animal health and challenge what we've been conditioned to think regarding how to raise and keep a healthy pet. My name is Tammy. I'm an entrepreneur and a certified animal naturopath with a passion for animals and empowering other pet owners with tools for creating the healthiest version of your amazing pets. Let's dive in. I am so glad you guys are here today. I have a very special treat for you. Billy Hookman, the Nutrition Science Director at Answers Pet Food is here. He's going to be answering lots of questions about Answers Pet Food today. And for those of you who do not know about Answers Pet Food, they are a leader in innovation and integrity, and they produce some of the most amazing products on the market today. So welcome, Billy. I'm so glad you're here joining us today, kicking off the nutrition segment of my podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I always appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Well, I wanted to first start with the funny story. I know you and I kind of chatted about over email, um, and that was, I think I met you, it was about three years ago at the um, American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association uh, convention in San Diego. And there was a couple of interesting things about that meeting that stood out to me. One uh, was you had handed me a folder with a lot of really good information in it and a black mug. And to my surprise, when I got home, I poured hot water in it. And all of a sudden, this beautiful scene showed up. It had you, a goat, I guess your dog, Lua. Mm-hmm. and a cat on one side, and on the other, a picture of your farming and some of your cheeses and food. So anyway, to this day, three years ago, um, it's still my favorite mug. So I use it all the time. I'm so fascinated by it. Well, which is hilarious because I didn't even know before that conference, I knew we were going to do a mug, but I was surprised as surprised as you were our marketing person put that together. So I didn't see it until we were there. So I'm glad you like it. Um, One thing I also wanted to mention just real quick before we kind of get into the um, details of answers is one thing you said that really surprised me was you said that we were talking about your fish stock and you said that you drink a pint of it a day. Well, that actually that's, that's Jacqueline, my boss, actually. Oh, okay. Yes, I have, I have had it and I do. Uh, occasionally, but I, I, am not really, so I grew up in the Midwest. And so whenever I ate fish, obviously it was fried, um, you know, fish fry and that kind of stuff. So I kind of split the difference and do a, um, I make my own bone broth, which I enjoy hot, you know, um, pork broth or whatever. And then I take fermented cod liver oil. Um, I couldn't get behind every day doing the, uh, fish stock, but Jack, my boss does. So impressive, impressive. Cause I feed it every day and woo. I'm telling you what it is is it's very potent but so nutritious so that's awesome all right so i wanted to just jump into uh learning a little bit more about answers um talking about some of the details first of all what is it about answers pet food that makes it so unique well it's so we make uh as far as i know we're the only people who actually make fermented raw food so we take raw food, which is basically the premise of eating, you know, food that's unprocessed and in its most healthy state, 
and we ferment that food, which means we add good bacteria. We allow that good bacteria to grow and it sort of pre-digests the food and makes it safer. It makes it healthier. It makes it easier for the animal to digest. Um, so we, we sort of take raw food, I think, to the next level in terms of getting it, you know, fermented and, and um, stuff like that. Okay. One thing I think about when I think about fermentation is I used to make my own kombucha and my own sauerkraut. And so I'm trying to imagine what that would look like fermenting milk and food and all of that. So I don't know if you could kind of give us an idea, like, are you using something similar to the process of making kombucha? Uh, when it comes to the milk, yes. So, you know, with the milk, with the goat milk, we're inoculating that with two buttermilk cultures. And with the kefir, we're using kefir grains which are actually similar to sort of that kombucha scoby in that it's a colony of both yeast and bacteria. Um, with the food, it's a little bit different. So the food, we're not allowing it to ferment for any particular amount of time. What we're doing is we're adding ingredients that are already fermented. So the reason why you get growth in your refrigerator or if it's at room temperature or whatever it might be is because those cultures uh, are already in a food environment. So you have the fermented vegetables, which are fermented for a week bef uh, prior. You have the uh, fermented cod livers, which have been fermented for uh, several months prior. You have our whey, which we get when we make our cheese, which is the main fermentation agent in the food. You also have our kefir in there, which is also um, obviously going to inoculate that with good bacteria and yeast. So those we already add, and that's important because if you were to just add probiotics to it, none of those would grow because it's not a high sugar environment, obviously. Um, it's very low in sugar and very low in carbohydrates. So you need those cultures to be already sort of thriving in their own food environment. So that the food's a little bit different, but everything else um, is similar. We actually do ferment our chicken and pig feet in kombucha by soaking them for 24 hours um, at the plant. We actually now have our own little uh, fermentation room at the plant. So that's very exciting. Nice. I bet it has an, an, an unique smell. Uh, you know, you'd be surprised because yeah, obviously we, we do a, a very good job cleaning uh, the plant. And so a lot of our plant actually smells like whey because we use whey as part of our cleaning method in our plant as well. But when they're fermenting, it just smells uh, like yeast because it's just kombucha. So Nice. So that leads me to my next question. Um, you mentioned that about the goat's milk and the, and the kefir. Um, so how is what you're doing different than say those other goat's milks that are out on the market that just say add probiotics? Well, it, it just depends on uh, the amount of time. So with the goat milk and the kefir, they are allowed a certain amount of time to, to grow. So for instance, with our kefir, that's actually a warm ferment. So that's about 80 or 90 degrees for 24 hours. So we're keeping that at that level. Um, and as far as I know, we're now actually the only raw kefir on the market. Um, and so there you get that. So because a lot of people sort of get that confused where you'd think like, oh, fermentation is just adding probiotics to food. No, fermentation is actually the growth of those probiotics. So we add two specific cultures to our goat milk that grow at lower temperatures. And then between the time when we actually put, put it in cartons and it freezes, that's when you get that fermentation uh, aspect of it. One of the reasons you'll actually see 
that the half gallons of goat milk are typically more fermented than say the pints because the pints take less, uh, less time to freeze. Interesting. So, yeah. So it's the growth of those bacteria. And I, and I know a lot of our competitors don't have add probiotics to it. A lot of them do. Now, even if you're, you know, animals just drinking straight raw milk, they're going to get probiotics to it. But we are also, for those that are concerned about uh, pathogens in raw foods, this is just an extra safety step. Another good example that would be our kefir is very fermented and the pH of it is actually at 4.4 or below, which means it's usually right about 4.4. Um, and anytime you're at 4.4 or below, that's at a pH where things like listeria can't grow in it. So it is a, it is also a safety method as well, but it's really the growth of those bacteria that sets us apart. Nice. So one of the questions I also have is we have a lot of dogs that come in with many sensitivities and they have used whey in the past. They've used dairy in the past and their dogs have sensitivities or allergic reactions to it. I've also realized that when they drink or eat answers food, even though it has whey and maybe whey is one of their sensitivities they don't seem to have as much of a reaction. Um, why is that? Well, so the it goes kind of back to the processing of that dairy. So there is no, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity tests out there and there are no real sensitivity tests that are measuring raw dairy in any sense. Um, they're measuring pasteurized dairy. And, and I don't really recommend pasteurized dairy for any mammal, Um especially on a consistent basis. Um, but then, then you add fermentation on top of that as well. And you're even less likely for your animal to be uh, allergic to it because you're actually, you are. So once those, um, especially with the whey, um, once those cultures actually are get done eating or processing the sugars, they're going to move on to the, the protein and fat, which is uh, they're becoming proteolytic. So, um, they're even less likely. So we don't really deal with, I mean, really any animals that actually have a true allergy to fermented raw dairy. Um, so that's one of those misconceptions. In fact, raw, raw dairy is so, so much different than pasteurized dairy that most people actually think that dairy is bad for you. And that's not because dairy is bad for you. Uh, or, I mean, the ludicrous idea that dairy is inflammatory. Um, if that's true, then I feel bad for all those babies out there that are, you know, drinking their mother's milk, uh, which is, which is very, very similar to, uh, how, you know, your bot, your, your body's, you know, how your body or that baby's body digests it is very similar to say raw goat's milk or raw cow's milk. Um, but that's really how bad pasteurized dairy has become because they're feeding the cows the wrong things. They're first cooking it at very, very high temperatures, denaturing most of the things that make it good. In terms of that, a lot of that stuff too, um, especially when you're talking about whey, because a lot of the whey that they're talking about is like powdered whey. And by the time you powder whey, it has nothing, it's it, it's not even close to what we do, which is raw cultured whey, which is kind of like that, you know, cheese water that comes off when you make cheese. We get all of our whey from our cheese maker. So that's all only warm to uh, 98 degrees. So these are two different, and, and that can also be accentuated with you know, there was a study in human children that showed that raw whey protein was the best 
protein comparative to anything else they did. They did meat, they did salmon, they did some animal proteins in terms of boosting your immune system through that adding glutathione. But they also found that that was not the case when they did pasteurized whey uh, Mm. in the study. So it was the actual raw whey that that was part of that. So we don't really see a lot about, it's not impossible. Uh, There could be an animal that's allergic to it, uh, but we don't really see it. Gotcha. So would it be safe to say then, if you have a dog that starts drinking your milks and they have kind of that detoxification reaction where maybe they're developing hot spots, really itchy skin, would it be more related to maybe a detoxification effect? Yeah, I think, I mean, it really just depends, but in my opinion, dogs are becoming more and more of a mess over time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, when you when you think about what their mothers eat when they're pregnant, you know, which we have no idea. And then you think of a bunch of generations of that. You you really, when you're introducing some of these foods, you really have to remake their microbiome. And when you look at what we know about the microbiome and in, in just mammals in general, we know that it plays a huge role in their behavior, in their whole body, and disease conditions. So... I think a lot of that comes from, you know, you're reintroducing the most efficient food on the planet. And it's basically a third of that milk is made not to be digested by your dog or your cat, but by the innate bacteria that live in it. So it's made to set up in the gut. So when you're changing that gut, there's a lot of negative things that happen. And so I think that it's more akin to that. And that you most of the time when we work with people, if they push through um, that, you know, first time that, uh, it gets better and obviously, but those bacteria also, sorry, those bacteria also have to die. Mm-hmm. And so when they die, you know, they're not, there's toxic substances there. And so that's a part of it as well. But ultimately the goal is to fix the problem and not just mask it. So I would, I would recommend that those people continue on. Good. Um, Yes, I just worked with a client uh, this past week who um, we actually got her on the yeast diet um, from your health guide. And she started the goat's milk and her dog literally was itching like crazy. But this is also a dog that is extremely yeasty. Um, Mm -hmm. She showed me a picture of the dog. It's legs. It's a white dog. Its legs are just red um, from itching and chewing on itself. So that would make sense. But from a, a pet parent's perspective, that can be a very scary, frustrating um, thing to watch. Yeah, no, it's very scary. But that, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the other thing is you have to have a realistic expectation. So we're trying to get to the root of the problem through food, which is going to take longer and it's going to be, in some cases, messier. So if you've had an animal that's been dealing with yeast for several years, it's not just going to go away overnight. You know, it's not just going to, uh, so it's sort of, you know, when you work with people, it's good to set up that expectation and say, what are we looking to do here? Are we looking to mask the symptoms? Are we looking to fix it? Because you're going to get different results based on that. And there's, there, there are things, you know, every dog is different. So, you know, it requires, you know, tweaking diets and that kind of stuff. Um, So it just kind of depends on your, you know, how, how your animal reacts to it. Right. Okay. Good. So regarding some of your 
kind of changing the subject a little bit, your sourcing and your farming proce- process mm-hmm. um, and practices. Um, I know you guys, again, you, you have so much integrity with how you farm. Um, you guys are out there on the scene quite a bit. Um, can you speak to that a little bit um, and give us a little bit more information? Yeah, we, we, you know, we kind of, the way I can sort of uh, wrap that into a box is to say a lot of people want their food to be human grade, but human grade is not really good enough for what we're doing. So if you can find it at a normal grocery store, it's not going to go into Answers Food. So um, obviously we're trying to do uh, as much certified organic as possible um, throughout the actual line. We're trying to do work with as many regenerative farmers as possible with as many polyculture farms as possible, which means, you know, animals and plants to be able to rejuvenate the soil, make a better environment. Um, And in terms of our meat sourcing, we were the first people to do about, I think actually over 10 years ago now, we were the first people to do gap rated meat, which is the global animal partnership. Um, And so, you know, there you get an independent audit of exactly how that meat was raised you know, that, that let's say cow was raised, what it was fed, how free range it was. Um, but, you know, for instance, you look at our beef, you know, above 90% of it is certified organic. The rest of it is organic without being certified. And this is 100% grass finished grass uh, beef. So this is uh, cows that are on pasture and fed grass their entire lives. And it's not, you know, even fake grass fed beef because now you can actually feed pelletized alfalfa to cows in a feedlot and call that grass-fed. Um, this is real. I mean, this is gap four and five beef. This is the best beef in the world. So, um, we, we kind of only put, you know, we have that very, very high standards, uh, for ourselves. Um, for instance, you know, I just had a pig processed that was raised for my family by my, by our cheese maker. And that pig, you know, lived outside its entire life. It was on pasture, you know, it had a creek running through there in a mud pit in a, in a woods. So, the, and, and actually, funny thing, it actually ate our raw whey as well um, that goes into the food, um, ate scraps. This, this animal, even though we're raising it for food, lived the best life it possibly could. And we're looking to, you know, put that into our food rather than, you know, something in, in the industrial meat line. And that's really what separates us. <clears throat> Another example of that would be, you know, we always – Typically, and we, we obviously work on this and, and don't want this to happen, but some we're very low on turkey around the holidays. Um, oh, yes. I know, for a, being a retailer. <laughs> exactly. So we would love to, you know, th- we could solve that problem very easily if we used the same turkey that other raw manufacturers use. Uh, but we don't. We only use certified organic turkey, right? We, we raise 25% of our own turkeys. Those are organic pastured birds. But we're only using certified organic turkey and it's just so much harder to get during the holidays that, that we would rather not make something than to decrease the quality. So just a reminder to your listeners, that's a good time to try, you know, our chicken, beef, turkey, no, chicken, beef, duck, or pork uh, during that time to get a little variety in there um, regardless. Absolutely. So you've got a couple of different formulas when it comes to the diets. Um Detailed and straight. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two? Yeah, the detailed is going to be a complete and balanced diet. And so what we do is we take 90% meat, organ, and bone, then we add 10% whole foods. And we add them in specific ratios 
to get certain nutrient profiles. Now we, in terms of our dog food, <clears throat> we have a feeding trial, a year long feeding trial we did with uh, at Hemopet in Southern California there um, for our adult maintenance for beef actually. So, and we're actually working on growth and lactation currently. But what we do there is we have that feeding trial data for adult maintenance, and then we formulate the nutrient profiles to meet the nutrient profiles for all life stages. So it's kind of bringing two of those together, two of those uh, data points together. And then we formulate all of our, so like our pork, we'd formulate it similarly, and then we send it to a lab and see where the nutrients are. And then if it needs to be tweaked, you know, we tweak it and send, you know, that kind of thing. Same thing with our, all of our uh, poultry as well. With our cat food, we did a year-long feeding trial on our chicken for uh, for adult maintenance, growth, and lactation. And then we formulate our other ones similarly, and they all meet those nutrient profiles. So that's how we know they're complete and balanced. But we add things like I had mentioned before, like the fermented vegetables, like our fermented cod livers, our grass-fed raw butter, our... Um, uh, another important one is our our duck eggs. We raise all of our own duck eggs on a farm. The farmer's name is Alan King, and those ducks are amazing. I mean, they're the best eggs in the world. They last time I was there, I was watching those ducks go through a horse pasture um, in in sort of like a big line across the the pasture, and they were finding all those bugs that are left by all of those horses that are fertilizing the soil. Nice. Um, they're eating all that grass. Um, these ducks are outside, you know, every single day, they have a bunch of acreage and eggs are the second most complete food on earth behind raw milk. So that's why we include those. Our straight formula is a limited ingredient diet, which is 98% meat organs and bone and 2% raw whey, as well as, um, uh, a little bit of Celtic or I'm sorry, we actually switched uh, Redmond real salt. Um, which is a very unprocessed sea salt for, to help remineralize sort of what you lose from over farming. So the straight formula is limited ingredient and it's meant to be combined with either our kefir goat milk or our eggs um, to be complete and balanced. And for those that haven't heard the egg thing, um, it's actually, I think, pretty easy to remember. If you take one carton of our eggs, which is four uh, duck eggs, and mix it with one pound of straight, that becomes a complete and balanced diet. And just for the record, that's 67% straight and 33% eggs at that point. But it's just one carton of eggs with the shells with mixed the shells. in with our yep. with our straight formula. Yep. That's an, that's awesome. My dogs love the eggs. I've been feeding those regularly. Um, for those that maybe have been feeding the straight, and let's say they haven't been adding any of those extras, um, I, I mean, how do, how do you answer that? Um, I mean, you could potentially meet that profile with, I guess, other foods or treats or something. I would, I would at least liberally feed our cheese, um, you know, to, to get that profile back up. The straight is very complete. I, I know when we were doing our duck formula for the straight, you know, and sent that into the lab to see the numbers we got, it was really only deficient in three nutrients. And that was only by half, which is pretty incredible when you consider that it's just, Really, you know, in that case, duck, whole, whole ducks, you know, duck organs, duck, uh, either thigh or breast, and then, um, you know, just that way. So that will show you how important it is to add nutrient-dense foods like whole ducks, and we do use the 
the whole thing, the feet, the head, you get the eyeballs, the brain, the whole deal, um, which doesn't sound very appetizing <laughs> to your listeners. It would be good for them as well, but uh, very, very good for your dog um, in that case. So <clears throat> I would, I, you know, they could potentially meet that nutrient profile in a different way, but I think it's just easier to do that through the dairy. And, and plus, you know, I think the dairy is just so important because it's where we see the most health turnarounds that I just don't see why you wouldn't add it. Absolutely. Okay. What about, I noticed uh, you guys have an amazing uh, resource called the diet and health guide for dogs. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, it covers things like allergies, diabetes, pancreatitis, yeast. I mean, it's just amazing what you guys have done and how you've been so dedicated to helping the pet parents um, get their dog back on track. Um, Can you give me an example of, say, maybe, I mean, not, you know, exact, but maybe just an an overall summary of what, say, a yeast or an allergy diet might look like? Yeah, so our health guide is based on, you know, case studies that we do with animals, you know, and have been doing with animals all across the country. And, you know, it's becoming more and more bolstered as well based on uh, our work with veterinarians. So we started a veterinarian program this year. Um, so we have vets all over the country that officially, you know, uh, recommend or sell our products. They're all, you know, involved in that program, which is going to get bigger too, as well. Uh, obviously this year was a little bit weird, obviously for all of us, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of expectations, but we did get a lot of people and and we did bring on a staff veterinarian as well, Dr. Doug Kneven. Um, so we basically have developed these diets over the last 10 years and gotten these results on these case studies. And so uh, a good example of that would be our yeast diet um, is the recommended daily dose of any one of our stocks, the recommended daily dose of goat milk, because you have things in goat milk, like for instance, lactoferrin, which is a protein that is very good at getting rid of uh, yeast. You have um, obviously, uh, those medium chain fatty acids that are good of getting, uh, destroying, uh, bad yeast as well. They're the same ones that are in, uh, for instance, coconut oil. And then you take the rest of the calories and, and do 50% our straight formula, which is going to be basically zero carbohydrates. So you're reducing all those carbohydrates and then 50% are, are fermented raw cow milk kefir. And that's because, again, you get, you get into things like the lactoferrin and things, you know, raw milk is just good for yeast and regardless. But with that, that's a yeast ferment. And that yeast ferment is going to outcompete that bad yeast. But yeast particularly is one where you're going to see negatives a lot of times before you see positives. Because, oh, sure. again, yes. that bad yeast has to die off. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, something to think about uh, in regards to that. So all of those are a little bit different. Um, I will say, you know, some people, a lot of those are very, very milk heavy because that's where we see, you know, our most, our biggest turnarounds. But I will also say a lot of times when people come to us and say, hey, I can't do this for whatever reason, it's too much liquid or a cost issue. um, Our senior protocol is a great place to start because really that's extra support through particularly the fish stock and the fermented raw dairy. And so that can help to alleviate uh, so a lot of those uh, health issues if you can't actually do, you know, the full protocol. Gotcha. Now, I have had quite a few um, pet parents tell me that their dog maybe turned their nose up to the fish stock initially. 
but then they gave it a little bit longer and they ended up, but do you have any tips for introducing that? For the, the fish. Stock. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I missed that first part. Um, so for the fish stock, yes. Um, the fish stock is going to smell like fish as you, <laughs> you know, alluded to before. Yes. Um, and most dogs and cats really enjoy the fish stock. Um, it, it comes pretty naturally to them. Um, the fish stock, by the way, is made by a guy named Steve who is, uh, Irvin's father-in-law and Irvin actually cartons all of our, uh, liquid products. And it is really one of the most amazing processes. The fact that that product is available and the fact that my boss, Jacqueline thought of that product, you know, many years ago, um, one just shows you how dedicated we are. Cause it is a weird product, but number two, I mean, it is just incredible. The, the length we go to, to, to have something like that. And for those people who think like, wow, this smells fishy. It, I will say for the record, both of the aspects of that fish stock, the fermented raw sardines and the fish stock come from a human cookbook. So really? those, those are human uh, <laughs> recipes there. <laughs> Obviously we're not adding some of the, you know, stuff they would spices and things they would add to it. Um, but if your animal is really not into it or you need to introduce it in a certain way, um, just adding tiny, tiny amounts. I want to encourage people to be, be able to work, you know, buy a pint and that pint is good for 30 days in the fridge. So buy a pint and add a half a teaspoon at first to whatever they're eating. And when they get comfortable with that after a few days, add a teaspoon or whatever, however slow or fast you need to go. Um, that's totally fine. Now, <clears throat> if your animals had, you know, just for general transition with any of our products, if your dog or cat, you know, especially has had, you know, kibble its entire life or something like that. You may want to do that two week transition. Sure. Um, you, you can reach out to us at info at answers, We do have a transition guy, a uh, little paper on transitioning, but you do probably want to do a slower one. Cause again, you're remaking that microbiome, but I will say this, most animals don't have issues, you know, with, um, switching to our foods with, you know, we talk about detox just to get people ready for it. And so we do get some people who are like, I want to switch your food, but I, I'm scared of detox. Well, if your animal doesn't have any health issues, you probably won't see any anyway. Right. Um, so it just depends on that. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, and I will tell you that um, I'm actually doing a second ferment with the fish stock um, with one of my dogs because he, he battles yeast um, and he's using the straight formula. And I mean, it really does... Cause so I am actually fermenting it on my kitchen counter for mm -hmm. a good 24 hours. And That's great. Yeah. So, and it definitely has a, has a smell. <laughs> There's no question, yeah. but he loves it. Every one of the dogs, um, he's the only one that, that I do that with. I feed the others, just the regular, um, but all of them want to lick the bowl. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's just, and, and that product even in and of itself, right when you thought is going to have, um, 2 billion probiotics browns. So you're, you're, uh -huh. you know, even increasing that. But the funny thing about that is my, my favorite part about the production of that is, you know, we, we give tours and, you know, it's like you go out to Steve and I'll show you his, the shack where he does the broths and blah, blah, blah. And then he takes you over to his fermentation check. And the fermentation shack is essentially, you could probably, like I could put my arms out and put my arms around the entire thing. That's how small it is. Oh, wow. And, 
he opens it up and it's like, ta-da! And it's literally just a bunch of milking canisters with two light bulbs that keep it at about 100 degrees. And that's that's the whole process for it. And that it's just there for three days. And those sardines break down and, you know, they're put into the fish stock and, and come straight to you. So that doesn't even go through our facility. It goes wow. straight from Steve. He uses gravity to get it into a... Um, a uh, tank and that tank goes up to Irvin and then Irvin freezes it and it goes straight to our cold storage facility and then straight to the distributor and then into your store. That is interesting. Wow. Did not know that. Uh, one question I have for you is as a retailer, I always dread the call from one of our uh, raw food manufacturer reps saying, well, guess what, Tammy, the FDA has forced our hand at, HPPing our food. Um, I know that you guys have been so committed to really staying true to authentic real food, the fermentation process, and you know, encouraging the the growth of good bacteria to um, inhibit the growth of bad bacteria. But I wanted to just maybe see if you could speak a little bit about how you guys have been able to avoid um, having to be HPP. That's a great question. Uh, the first the first part of it is. No one's ever been, the FDA did not force anyone to HPP. So most of those facilities, most of, most of the time, most raw food companies are actually produced in other facilities. And it's the facility that is being pressured by the FDA um, because the facility manager is, you know, that's their livelihood. So they're sure. not going to the owner of that facility. So it's really not the F, the FDA doesn't ever mandate safety protocols, because then if they did that, they would be liable if it failed. Right. Hmm. So if you did the safety protocol that the FDA mandated, and then all of a sudden a, a kid gets sick from an HPP food um, that his dog ate, then the FDA would be liable. So they're not, they don't ever do that. They're not ever going to mandate. They actually changed that. I believe it was in the eighties when they developed HACCP. Um And so the one of the main factors that we've been, you know, we moved into our own facility and we moved into our own facility a few years ago. So no one can tell us what to do with our food products. But the other thing is we developed a food safety method that works better than high pressure pasteurization because it actually protects the food right up until the bowl and, and through and beyond, because we know it actually through our own data, we know it actually gets safer as it sits Right. Sure. So if you leave it out at room temperature for 48 hours, the food, it's statistically the safest because that good bacteria continues to grow. So we developed sort of this innovative way to keep the food safe, um, which is not easy. Um, it's not e it is fermentation is easy because people have been doing it forever. But the way that we have to source the way that we have to do everything, that's where it becomes hard. Right. Sure. Um, we get asked all the time, you know, why don't other companies ferment their foods? Well, you know, in a lot of cases, you would have to say at that point, are they, you know, are you willing to spend double for your beef or whatever it might be? Sure. Because we have to have that high standard of good bacteria or else it's the fermentation process really isn't going to work. So um, it would almost be about like remaking, you know, your own, your company at that sure, point. Sure, sure. And, and the other part too is, you know, I work for, for people, a family who, if it's the right thing, they will dig their heels in and do it. They will lose everything, you know, if they have to, but yeah. they will stand up for the right thing. Luckily in this case, you know, we've done great. We've, we've, 
not had to recall several times because we've proven that our food is safe. Um, but the other part too, is that, you know, it takes being willing to risk that in order to, uh, be able to do that. It is getting better. Um, you know, we have, you know, we are part of a group, um, run by my friend, Dr. Kathy Alanovi called next generation pet food manufacturers. And she's sort of our, our, it's sort of our group at AFCO. Um, so I go to AFCO meetings, but she also goes to AFCO meetings and represents a lot of companies there. And a lot of raw food companies have joined that. And so, you know, they're making that same, those same headways now where if the FDA says, hey, we got a pet positive for salmonella in your food, they're not anymore just going, okay, we'll recall. Mm -hmm. Because they're saying, wait a minute, tell me more about that. Let's test this out. What was the chain of custody? What was the, because people need to know their rights and people need to know that just because, you know, the government says to you, we need this. And you say, do we legally have to do that? Just because they say yes, doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Gotcha. So, you know, it is getting better and, you know, we've, we've worked a lot uh, on that, but it's so basically it comes down to, I think, having our own plant and fermentation. And we're also actually going to be breaking ground on a new plant, I believe wow. this year or so. And it's, it's about more than three times the size of our current plant. So, oh my gosh, that's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Very excited about that. And, uh, you know, had went to some very interesting community meetings, uh, hearings and things, uh, leading up to that. And it's, it's in the same little small podunk town in uh, Pennsylvania that our current plant is in. That's exciting. Well, I think I am um, down to to some of my last questions. Is there anything else that you want to uh, get out to the listeners that you think would be important for them to know that I did not touch on? Uh, you know, just the idea that the one thing you can really do aside from other things like exercise is very important, you know, limiting the amount of, you know, toxic chemicals that go into your dog or on your dog nutrition is the one thing you can control a hundred percent. And so we're all here for the same reason. That's to, you know, basically improve the probability that our dog or cat will live a healthier, longer life. And so the, the number one way to do that, just like it is in humans is by eating whole, you know, mostly unprocessed foods um, that are biologically healthy. And so I would just recommend that if anyone's listening to this and only feeding uh, processed food, every mammal needs raw foods right. in their diet. It's just how nature works. Well, and I love um, you guys have a tagline. I believe it's on your Facebook that says you're going to eat anyway. You might as well use food as medicine. Oh, that was Dr. Doug. Yeah. That, yeah. that uh, Dr. Doug is amazing. Uh, I, I, I love working with him. I'm very excited to, uh, I'm going up to Pittsburgh and we're having meetings soon about um, just how the vet program is going to work and stuff. But he's been working with my boss, Jacqueline, since before Answers Pet Food. Oh, wow. Um, so and he was one of the first people to sell it. Um, I will I will put in a plug. Uh, if you go to our social media, you can find this. We, we do have a podcast that Dr. Doug does. So you can add that to your listening along with this podcast. Um, and he interviews veterinarians. Um, it's called conversations with veterinarians. That's a once monthly podcast. So, uh, go ahead. I would, you know, advise your listeners to check. Absolutely. That out well. I've actually uh, been listening to it. It's fantastic. Oh, good. Yeah. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you and learning more and more about your amazing company and some of the details of what you do. So thank you so much uh, for joining us, Billy. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode, share it with someone who may also want to help their pet. You can share it now or post it on social media. Tag me in it so I can reach back out to you. I'm so proud of you for taking steps to help your amazing furry family member. Talk to you soon.